The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, or get them out of here. You don't live in Cleveland. Battle of Ohio, part one, 2021, and a lot of intriguing headlines, a lot of interesting headlines, not so much on the trade front as it pertains to the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns, but some other interesting news with that game on the horizon, and of course, the Bengals trying to rebound from a tough, tough loss against the Jets. It was Halloween, there was all kinds of stuff going on, and a lot of stuff going on around the league that has to do with trades and doesn't have to do with trades. But at any rate, I'm Anthony Cazenza with the Orange and Black Insider and Cincy Jungle, joined by my partner in crime, John Sheeran. John, what's going on, man? How was your Halloween? I got to say, my favorite intros on this show are the ones I have no idea what, what's going to come. <laughs> like just, just like all you guys listening and watching out there, like I had no idea that Sam Weiss was going to be on tonight's intro, but that is the beauty of Anthony and his production. But also, Anthony, you forgot to mention, it was backup quarterback day Sunday on Halloween. And none of us got the memo, apparently. I, apparently. Uh, I, man, I, I guess Jets fans are proudly wearing the old Mike White jersey w- this week. I mean, I I was stunned at what I what I saw this week. And I you know, I'm never I'm never I don't like to be the guy that's like, oh, you know, I I told you so. I saw this coming. There was there was the cynical part of me that kind of was it was gnawing at me a little bit about a, a bad feeling about it, but I kind of still felt like different team, you know, blah blah blah. And uh, here we go, Bengals lose a tough one in New York. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk uh, about a stat of the week that John's going to give us, which should provide some interesting insight. And then we're going to talk about this big battle of Ohio, part one, coming up on Sunday as the Bengals try to right the ship after the loss to the Jets. As always, you can subscribe to the Orange and Black Insiders YouTube channel right by John's microphone there. There's a little icon. You can hit that to subscribe. And then, of course, click the bell to be notified when we have new stuff and when we go live. So you can join us for that. 
And if you can't join us live, then all of our material is on cincyjungle.com and your favorite audio streamers, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, any of the major ones, we are there as part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, as well as Orange is the New Black from Ace and Zim, and Coach Speak and Chalk Talk from Matt Minnick. John, I don't know where to begin with this one. Uh, and I, I, you know, if I'm, if I was a Bengals player in that locker room, I, I, I don't know how I'd be taking this loss. I, I know I'd be pretty angry about it. Uh, it feels as if the Cincinnati Bengals let a golden opportunity to continue the good vibes, the media praise, and of course, good standing in the AFC. Uh, just it just seemed like a golden opportunity to seize, and they did not really show up in a lot of different ways. I think we talked about it last week. How this team is a year removed from winning six games in a two-year span under a, a rookie head coach, a maligned, inexperienced coaching staff when they played like at least three or four quarterbacks because of injuries and because of ushering in a new era, this team has seen the worst of the NFL. They've been a laughing stock. They've been at the bottom of their division. They've been at the top of the draft order. They know what it's like to be the jets from weeks one through seven of this season. And I thought that that perspective would be enough for them to enter the week with a proper approach and proper preparation and enter the game knowing that this is still the NFL. It's not college football. There are no blowouts. There are no guaranteed wins every single week. The parity is so much more tighter that even despite the talent disparity that was still on display at times in East Rutherford in this game, that the Jets had a chance to win. They always had a chance to win if Cincinnati came out flat. I didn't think, like like you, I didn't think it was possible for them to come out flat because of where they've been in order to get to this point. But it just goes to show you that these things can happen and they will always happen if they don't keep their focus 100%. For me, like what Zach Taylor said after the game, I think Joe Burrow said this too, like there were no signs in the week. And I don't know if they would actually say this in post-game press conferences and stuff, but they said that there were no signs of any any letdown that was proceeding to happen or any signs of lack of focus in the preparation stuff like they were focused they realized what the task was at hand they realized that momentum needed to be sustained in order to keep atop the division and the conference but the product on the field doesn't match what those words were and to me that leads me to believe that they were focused and they did take this game seriously it's just that they may not have had any idea what to expect and I think that is a talking point that we need to expand on in just a little bit but I think the fact that they had a rookie or not a rookie quarterback an unknown a quarterback a guy who's been in the league but hasn't played at all aside from coming into their game in week seven when Zach Wilson got hurt they had no idea what to expect from that quarterback and I think honestly they kind of underestimated what their offense was able to do with him at the helm and they just didn't really adjust to what was actually going on on the field. They came in with a plan and they didn't really adjust from that plan. And despite the offensive offense coming a lot of times in this game, it simply wasn't enough because I just don't think they knew what to do once they saw what was happening out there. And for whatever reason, they didn't adjust. And that is unfortunately the difference between legitimate teams who have been there before and teams who are still learning how to win, which definitely describes the Cincinnati Bengals right now. 
I want to we'll, we'll talk about adjustments. Let's set that to the side in just a, for just a second here. I, I agree with a lot of what you said, but there are also examples of what we saw on Sunday that does make me question a little bit of I don't know. I don't know if effort is necessarily the thing I would question, but the, the seriousness of which this team took the Jets and I look at, and I hope I'm not taking your stat of the week by saying this, but the 15 missed tackles that pro football focus credited the defense. That's inexcusable. Okay. You can, you can blame Luana Rumo and we'll talk about the adjustments and or lack thereof. You can blame Luana Rumo and the scheme and all this kind of thing. But I mean, the, the point is the Bengals spent a lot of money the past two off seasons on players who they're basically their strongest points in a lot of regards is tackling. I mean, even the defensive backs that they brought in, they are known as sound tacklers. And 15 missed tackles is absolutely inexcusable. Jamar Chase had a drop in the end zone and another drop. Of course, it was a tip ball. There were other errors, you know, the Joe Burrow interception that you could debate what what the issue was there, whether it was just a great play by Shaq Lawson or a poor throw. You know, why are you throwing at that? There's all kinds of stuff you can talk about. But the bottom line is the execution was not there in a lot of different regards, but I do, I, I do agree with you that I think the Bengals were a little stunned and the coaches were stunned and a little shell shocked in terms of, wow, okay, well, you know, Mike White can actually do some stuff. Mike White can move the ball. These Jets players, without Corey Davis, they can put up yards and points. And credit to the Jets because there was an opportunity when you had three first half turnovers. That, that is part of the, the big part of the formula that I think Luana Rumo wanted. Get some turnovers against this young team that is struggling and a quarterback in his first start. Get a, get a flurry of turnovers and get him out of the game early. And the Bengals had the opportunity. They, they created the opportunity to do that for the offense. Offense only got 10 points off of those three turnovers. And credit the Jets because they kept getting after it even after those turnovers. Well, it's not like those turnovers were forced because of mistakes from Mike White either. It was one was a batted a batted drop from a receiver on a contested slant that ended up in the arms of Jesse Bates. One, I guess you can blame Mike White for the second one because it went off the receiver's helmet when he wasn't looking and Jermaine Pratt made the play and picked the ball off right before it touched the ground. And one was on an explosive play from the Jets offense that Von Bell just happened to force a fumble near the end of the first half. There was opportunistic uh, moments from the defense, but not necessarily forcing Mike White to make a mistake and I think um, uh, Bengals Sands did a great job of explaining the defense and why they were ineffective against the Jets offense they ran certain types of exotic blitzes and coverages against Mike White only on like 10% of his dropbacks and those were by far his 10 most ineffective dropbacks everything else it was mainly just cover three or cover two man and a lot of people are saying in the comments just a lot of guys dropping back too far deep into their zones because, again, I, I think they just wanted to keep things in front of them just to let Mike White make mistakes instead of forcing Mike White to make those mistakes. And we can talk about the defense all we want because there is no there, there is no excuse for allowing 405 yards from a quarterback who never made a start before. But also, there, there's stuff from the offense that they left a lot of points on the board. I look at two mm-hmm. first-half possessions from this game. One started at the one-yard line from that near pick six, Jesse Bates. They started at the one, and they turned the ball over on downs because they have two runs stuffed. They have a Jamar Chase drop in the end zone and Joe Burrow takes a sack on fourth down. 
And then on another possession in the, in the first half, you have three straight incompletions starting at the seven-yard line, including a miscommunication between Tyler Boyd and T.J. Zoma. You have to take three. You leave 11 points on the board, and you and you ultimately lose by three. You could have been up by 20 points instead of 11 with just four four minutes to, um, to go in the game. But, of course, it, this all goes back to the defense, right? And this wasn't something that I realized until the, the day afterwards. I remembered that, okay, Jets head coach Robert Sala comes from San Francisco. That's why the Jets defense was pretty well coached in this game. But he brought over from San Francisco Mike LaFleur, who was the pass game coordinator for the 49ers under, Mike, un, under Kyle Shanahan, excuse me. And I remembered like thinking to myself while watching this game, this looks a lot like how the San Francisco 49ers just destroyed the Bengals in their home mm-hmm. opener in 2019 jimmy garoppolo wasn't that impressive that day because he didn't have to be he just found spaces in the Bengals' defense and they just spread him out horizontally and they attacked him with a lot of misdirection play action rollouts just calling man man coverage beaters against obvious man coverage situations and that's exactly what lafleur did with mike white in this offense he he took what worked against the Bengals' defense two years ago despite the Bengals' defense getting completely rebuilt he had the athletes to do so with this jets offense and he had a quarterback like Garoppolo who was just quick and accurate in the short parts of the field. So that exact formula worked against Lou and Rumo again two years later. And there's just no real excuse to do so unless you just simply didn't expect what to expect. So let's bring back that discussion of the adjustments then since you're talking Lou Anarumo and the defense. Were you surprised at all that there was not an adjustment made either at halftime or later in the game, second quarter? I mean, it seemed as if Lou Anarumo's game plan was let's keep everything in front of us. Let's tackle, get off the field, maybe make the occasional turnover. It seemed like that was kind of the mindset, right? Well, tackling failed them. So then, you know, when, when you're not mi- making the first tackle attempt on a player, a play that should go for either a negative yard play or a three yards, four yards ends up going for seven, ends up going for eight. And so then that extends the drive. So then that game plan fails. So were you surprised that based on the poor tackling that was seen on, on the field and the fact that, you know, Mike White was dinking and dunking them to death and it was working, were you were you surprised that they weren't doing something differently on defense later in the game to maybe negate some of those easy completions up close and make Mike White beat them deep? I mean, 100%. Like, I, I think they were avoiding Mike White beating them deep. And that's just right. inexcusable because the Jets didn't have any vertical threats that could stretch right. the Bengals' defense. And they didn't have to because of how just deep the Bengals were playing in coverage and how off they were playing in coverage. They could have done so much better by giving the Jets less space to operate, get up into those routes, don't let them develop as quickly as they did. And honestly, get in Mike White's face. Like, I think the pass rush should take a lot of blame for this as well, for barely mm-hmm. pressuring Mike White on some of those traditional straight dropbacks. I think Trey Hendrickson, Ogunjobi, and Reader, they had their moments in this game, but the lack of consistency against an embattled offensive lineman that was down to their third left tackle, who, by the way, did not allow a pressure in this game. Chima Adoga, your boy from USC, he played mm-hmm. a fantastic game in relief of George Fant. The Bengals blitzed Mike White eight times on his 47 dropbacks. Like, you're not forcing him to make any... You're not forcing his processing speed to speed up if you're just dropping seven guys back into coverage. And again, if you, when you call a, a, as great of a game as Lafleur did offensively, it, it's going to work if you have all that space to operate. So they should have seen what was going on saying, Hey, you know, that we have, we had some film on this back in the day when the 49ers tried to try to do this to us. I think at halftime, you got to have to sit there and say, Hey, Mike White's torching us. We better, roll out some blitzes and some other coverages that will make him they'll make him have to to think a little bit quicker 
and therefore he can make more mistakes. And that just never happened. Mike White got better as the game went on almost and had some really clutch moments because the Bengals let him have those opportunities to do so. My surprise with it was in allow, allowing him to complete these, you know, the, the not letting them, not letting Mike White beat them deep. My, my surprise with that is guy in his first start, you would think that you would want to get him off rhythm. Well, what's going to get a guy who may be a little jittery, may have some issues in his first start. What's going to get him comfortable and confident is easy completions that are short and those easy completions ending up going for longer gains than they should. And so that's kind of a little bit of the tale of what happened. And like you said, the offense failing to capitalize on those turnovers and and there were some issues there. I, I've kind of banged this drum for a handful of weeks now where the Bengals going into this week um, in their in their previous seven games, they scored 34 points in their final possession before half and 34 points coming out of the out of halftime in the third quarter on their first possession. They got goose egg in both this this week. Um, so that to me, I mean, they they got cheated a little bit on the one before halftime and they did get a field goal prior to that, you know, the situation where they had 15 seconds, no timeouts, but I mean, essentially that, that, that was an issue and, and the lack of capitalization on, on the, on the turnovers was an issue as well. Um, I mean, plenty of blame to go around. That's for sure. I, I guess where we need to go with this is where do the Bengals go with this? Right. I mean, we know all the issues. We know we we're, we're kind of hammering them to death here a little bit as to what what happened, but you know what what do the Bengals make of this, and what do we as fans make of it? What lessons do they learn? What lessons do we learn? And you know, was this just a simple anomaly and a perfect storm of three straight road games, um, kind of below average to poor game plan? Um, not enough film on Mike White, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of excuses, I guess, if you want to make it that way. Or um, is this kind of a, you know, a a learning situation for the Bengals where they say, you know, we got to take this and we can't rest on our laurels and listen to all this media hype we got for a week. Um, We kind of got embarrassed a little bit here. I don't know what, what, what should be made of this in your eyes? I still don't know if we can definitively say that they listened to all the hype and bought into it. I, I think that like they were up 11 with four minutes to go. Like they had the game one. Yeah. They realized what was happening and they took care of business right before they didn't. <laughs> and and other problems got exposed towards the end, like to give up that last touchdown drive um, to, to have like three missed tackles on, on one of those last two touchdowns. And then just the silly interception from, from Burrow, like, before all of that, like, you know, they got punched in the mouth and they responded. They had like 17 unanswered points. So the, the talent disparity was on display towards the middle part of that game where the Bengals are kind of running away with it. I think it was just honestly just the Jets just not taking it, not going down without a fight and just still attacking certain weaknesses in this game, the lack of adjustments. So I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't know if I can definitively say that like the Bengals were just sleeping in this game because there were definitely times where they looked alive. I just mm-hmm. think the timing of this game was also interesting in how it mirrors last year because last year, almost exactly a calendar year ago, the Bengals were coming off of a disappointing uh, blown lead against the Cleveland Browns. There was the whole Carlos mm-hmm. Dunlap thing with Lou Aruma on the sidelines. That was like the one game I think all of us were like, okay, does Zach Taylor 
really have control of this locker room? Does he really have control of his job security? They were like one, five and one at the time. And they were hosting the Tennessee Titans who were atop of their division. Everyone was assuming the Bengals were going to lose that game and it turned into the ultimate trap game for the Titans and the Bengals surprised everybody in week eight of last year. It was the exact opposite of this year coming off of a great win against the Ravens, a win that not a lot of people expected them to achieve. Then going to finish that road trip against the Jets who were in a terrible spot. They lost their starting quarterback. They had no expectations of doing anything with Mike White at the helm and they somehow beat the Bengals in clutch surprising fashion. It's like these two years are mirroring each other. But again, the Bengals have experience of being on the other side. So I think they just have to leverage that experience and those lessons that they've previously learned to get back on track because they're not going to have time for to wait around this to, to try to learn these lessons that they should have already learned. I, I'm in the same boat with you where this is kind of, you know, the Jets, I think were coming off a bye as well. So, I mean, there was, they, they kind of rested up and had, you know, there's kind of a perfect storm of, of things, but again, your your comment, and it's something that I've been thinking about, your comment on the lack of adjustments. And when you go, when you see back-to-back weeks of absolutely destroying the, the Ravens, and then you hear the, you, know, you witness what we witnessed against New York, you start to hear the chatter of, well, are they pretenders or are they actually contenders? And I think we're all still sitting here, at least I am of the mindset that they are still contenders based on the talent, based on the fact that the, the, their three losses total nine total points, three points per game. So I, I, I'm still of the mindset personally that they are contenders. But that issue that you mentioned, the lack of adjustments and what we saw in this game, does that give you any kind of pause in terms of, hey, this team can still, you know, this was just a hiccup. Um and they've got the talent, they've got the guys, they've got the coaches, et cetera. But the lack of adjustments, does that give you any kind of pause and say, maybe they're trending a little bit closer to pretenders than contenders because of that? I'm I'm still not ready to say that they're full-blown pretenders. Obviously, they've given everybody fuel if they want to go with that route, if they want to believe that. But at the end of the day, it's a three-week road trip. They were two and yeah. one. I think a lot of people would have accepted two and one, but assumed that the loss would, would have been sandwiched in between the Lions and the Jets. It, I, I I do think they were maybe riding a little bit too high, which kind of counter, counteracts with what I originally said about two minutes ago. But I, I don't know, man. I think this was just the classic recipe for that ultimate trap game that, again, I didn't think was possible with the team in this position. I, I don't I, I, I still think they're contenders. I still think that, that the talent is still coming together. I, I think the defense is obviously much better than what they did and what they look like here. And while the offense still had some similar struggles, it's also you know credit to the Jets for having a good defensive line. This is the the third time that the Bengals have really struggled against a defensive line that that can plug gaps in the run game and gain pressure from the interior. Like we saw it against the Bears, that completely blew that game out the door. The Jets' defensive line came to play because they do have some guys and they're really well coached. So. Credit to them for for playing well. You know, that's that's something that gets lost in a lot of these mm-hmm. discussions. But the Jets have talent, and they they didn't go down without a fight. And even when it looked like they were down and out with like a two percent win probability with four minutes to go, they they did they did great things and did things that worked all game. So cre- credit to them. Most definitely, most definitely. And I, you know, I'm I'm not ready to write this team off. I think, you know, if you look at if you looked at the schedule as we start to approach. Um, you know, the, the kind of midway-ish point and or the buy coming up around the corner here. I, I think if you were to say, you know, they're five and three after eight, eight with a 
pretty much a blowout win in Pittsburgh and a blowout win in Baltimore. I think you would take that. Yeah, these losses against subpar teams that you feel that they should have won, Chicago, New York. Um, I, I mean, even the Green Bay game, they, you feel like they should have won that one. So, um, you know, I, I think we would take that. Um, I, I'm really interested to see the response this week. I feel like there's perhaps a lot of anger in that locker room for what has happened over the last week, but we'll see. I, one one question before we get to your Stat of the week, John, and this is a comment I've had pinned for a minute here on the live video chat. It's from Davey Turner in our YouTube channel. I think if the team believed they were contenders, they would have done something before the trade deadline. A lot of chatter being made about what the Rams <laughs> did with Von Miller. A um, couple of other moves were made around the league, but nothing that was absolute, you know, uh, nothing that was near the level of Von Miller. A couple of other, you know, lower to middle tier type of moves. The Bengals did not do anything, which I think was somewhat predictable. Um, do you agree at all with that sentiment? Um, uh, you know, I don't, maybe this is phrased a little more negatively than, uh, <laughs> but I mean, do you agree with the sentiment, I guess, that the Bengals in some way should have made some form of a move or um, should they have kind of stayed put with, with what they had? Yeah, I don't know if Davey Turner is a Sith because I don't deal in absolutes in this sense. <laughs> the Bengals are not impulsive enough to ever sacrifice future assets because of one bad week. That's just never that's never right. going to be their MO. Like the only reason why they traded Carlos Dunlap and got BJ Finney for eight weeks last year is because Dunlap forced their hand and he wanted nothing more th than to be out of there, which sounds a lot like a Browns receiver at the moment. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. that happened after the trade deadline for them. But no, I didn't. I don't think any of us expected the Bengals to make a progressive trade at the deadline because that just doesn't fall under what their philosophies are. And they weren't going to look at a loss like the Jets and say, hey, we need to sacrifice a future second and third round pick for one of the best pass rushers in the game. And I think that's still probably where if they were to make a deal, that's where they should have went. Um, there were a couple edge rushers who were reportedly on the market, but I think only a handful of them, maybe two or three actually got dealt. Again, it's just it's a two way street. It's got to be these guys have to be available to be traded for, and there has to be an agreed upon agreed upon price. Mm -hmm. And at the deadline, rarely are you ever going to net out a surplus of value for the guy that you're getting in, which is also the only way that the Bengals would ever make those deals, unless there's a situation like Dunlap. Shane McLeod here says uh, they love their own draft capital. It's just how we work. Yeah, I mean they love the draft capital, and really the draft capital has propelled them to where they are at this point, especially in the last two classes. So uh, I look, they, they made the waiver wire claim on Trey flowers. I think that was kind of one of the defensive back additions that they feel like they should have made for some depth and insurance, et cetera. There, there may still be, you know, a street free agent. We're seeing a lot of kind of disgruntled players talking about or forcing their way out of a couple of different situations. There may still be a couple of free agents floating out there, some practice squad guys, et cetera. That's going to be the route that they go. And uh, they just, you know, they, they don't really like to do that. And I don't know that it necessarily signals one way or the other their belief in their them being a contender or a pretender. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey. 
instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're going to move on and we're going to talk about a stat of the week followed by previewing the Battle of Ohio week one. Before we do, we want to remind you about the partnership we have going with Symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L, and of course the website, simbull.app backslash OBI. Symbol is where you can play and buy teams, shares of teams, like their stocks. And you can go on their platform and go in there, make yourself some money, by investing in certain teams, whether that is the Cincinnati Bengals, whether that's a number of different teams among a bunch of different sports, Symbol has you covered. And on top of that, it's not just a great platform for folks that like fantasy football, survival football, any of that kind of stuff. They have a special promo for our listeners, don't they, John? That's right. They absolutely do. If you go to simbull.app backslash OBI, and use the promo code OBI. And if you deposit up to $500 and invest that into the symbol market, that is basically $500 free dollars that symbol is giving you, the consumer, the user, the investor, the sports know it all, to put in the symbol market, do with it what you will. And if you don't like the symbol market, if you're losing money, or if you just realize it's just not for you, symbol within the first 90 days of that initial deposit will refund you 100%, completely risk free. $500 initial first deposit. You cannot beat this deal. And this is honestly a great time to bring up Symbol because it was around this time last season, last year, that the owner and founder of, of Symbol, Ken Giles, thought to himself, you know, I think the Bengals are going to be pretty good with Joe Burrow in the future, but I don't want to make that prediction right now. I don't think they're going to be good necessarily next year, maybe the year after that. But I think a couple years down the road, Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals are going to do some special things. And I kind of want to put some money on that, but there is no market to really leverage that kind of deal symbol is that place it is a long-term investment site for you to put your money where your mouth is and to invest in teams that you believe are going to be good for the long term and if you believe in the Bengals, if you believe in any other nfl nba mlb college football or hockey team you can put your money where your mouth is up to 500 risk-free dollars at symbol.app backslash obi Go take advantage of the promotion that they've got going at Symbol, and we are thankful for their partnership. It started in the spring and has continued on in the regular season, and we are extremely excited about that. We've got a lot of listeners across, uh, live viewers across the 
multiple platforms we are streaming on since the jungles facebook page our youtube channel a couple of different twitter accounts as well so welcome for those who are joining us live and thank you for those who may be listening after the fact whether it's on one of those platforms or on cincy jungle itself and or a number of different audio streamers john you have a statistic of the week for us i actually have two one that oh, i what? found personally and one that was sent to us via email from our next gen stats correspondent christian bladner shout out to christian he gives us provides all of us media members with next gen stats of the week at at multiple different positions this one is about mike white and it just puts into further context of the damage that he did death by a thousand paper cuts as i think people are coining it Mike White, and I quote, completed 24 of 28 short passes, which is anything under 10 air yards, for 263 yards, including two touchdowns and an interception. His 263 yards on short passes were the second most in the game since 2016, which is kind of a, kind of fitting with how just the arc of the Bengals defense has evolved since the mm-hmm. Zimmer and Gunther days. As a result, White owned the second shortest average intended air yards of the week with 4.1. I think another site had him at 3.7. So basically, he was averaging four yards average depth of target, and he ended up getting almost, I think, two-thirds or three-fourths of his total yardage on short passes and actually yards after catch. I think his yards after catch total was about 265 as well, so almost exactly the same. He had a completion percentage over expectation also of plus 0.89%, which is the, was the third highest of the week, which almost counteracts with how close to the line of scrimmage his passes were. So some of them were contested. Some of them were pretty accurate for what the coverage was. But, man, it was just dink and dunk city, and it was an unprecedented performance in that in that respect. I think Jay Morrison also had the yards after catch total as the highest allowed in a game since 2014. So aside from that, just the sheer unlikelihood of this game and what the result was, since the 1981 season, there have been 20 instances of road teams being favored by 11 points or more that straight up lost the game. The Bengals had now been involved in the last two. There's only been two since the 2012 season. This one, last Sunday being one of them. But the last one was last year when the Bengals played Monday Night Football Against the Pittsburgh Steelers, they were 14-point home underdogs, which almost never happens in this league. But the Bengals shocked the world and beat everyone on Sunday night, which is just another thing to really support the case of the Bengals have been in the opposite situation before. And the fact that they allowed it to happen to them, it just makes the whole thing even more bizarre. There was a comment above. I, I, I'd have to scroll up a ways and, uh, I don't know, I guess I'm being lazy about it. So I'm sorry I'm not properly crediting which viewer said it, but it just reminded me that they're the Bengals have seemingly made superstars out of a lot of different quarterbacks who in, in which they have very little film on. And it, you, you talk about Mike White, you can go back to Favre when he came in, you know, in, in the early 90s. And I mean, the list goes on and on. You know, Cordell Stewart torched him a bunch of times and you know the, the list just goes on and on and on Deshaun Watson and his you know first start on Thursday night um they just seemingly make superstars out of these guys and I don't know why that is uh maybe it's just us kind of being cynical but I, it just seems as if some of these guys kind of come out come out of the woodwork a little bit um obviously Deshaun Watson was a first round pick and whatnot but they just kind of come yeah. out of nowhere and and the Bengals have a tough time in these 
player's first start or one of their first starts ever in the league, and they just seem to have a hard time with them. I, I just want to just say real quick before we move on, like I really don't know how this game goes with Zach Wilson at quarterback for the Jets because obviously the Bengals have a lot more tape on Wilson, not only from college, from scouting him, but also just from the first seven games of the season. And just like they knew what how ineffective this offense was with Wilson at the helm. It just wasn't very efficient. He was obviously t- throwing more down the field, and that led to a lot of inefficiency compared to Mike White. I, I really do believe that it was like the perfect storm of the Bengals not knowing what to expect, but Mike White's play caller having experience with that kind of quarterback and be able to operate in a stable structure that the defense didn't really account for. And that just kind of goes with that narrative of the Bengals always making these practice squad quarterbacks or these quarterbacks with not a lot of experience very effective because unfortunately they're just not the team to really adjust on the fly to what whatever's happening against them that goes against their initial game plan. Yeah, I I see uh who was it? Oh, Rob Duncan here. Um again TJ Yates, that's another one. Uh, just a lot of a lot of players there. I don't I don't really know what it is, but I Interesting and frustrating stats uh, for the stats of the week by you, John. And, um, you know, I, I just hopefully the, the defense takes what what happened to them to heart last week and uh, comes out against Cleveland and, uh, you know, does what they need to do, especially really just the basics, tackling, um, <laughs> you know, just executing things and doing things basically playing the way they had played for, in large part for, for most of the year, you know? And so hopefully that, that takes place this week and they are working hard to adjust. We'll see what happens. Let's, let's move on unless you got something else with your stat of the week there, John. Um, no, I think we need to move on as quickly as possible now, <laughs> but put the jets in the rear view, right? It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Uh, well, an interesting one as the Bengals get set to host the Cleveland Browns, the Browns lose to Pittsburgh 15 to 10. The Bengals are coming off a loss as we have discussed ad nauseum. Both teams are looking to rebound. The Bengals have fallen to, I believe it was the number five seed in the AFC playoff picture. The Browns are tied with a couple of teams. I think they are technically 10th per NFL.com in, in, playoff seating and don't look now the Pittsburgh Steelers are if things ended today they would have they would make it into the playoffs so this game against you know the Bengals against the Browns means a lot for the division means a lot for the AFC playoff race and everything Uh, you know the Bengals are 
in rebound mode because of a bad loss. The Browns are reeling not only from the loss, but a lot of different things. I guess we should uh, start with the OBJ drama, John, um, and we'll get to the injuries and all that kind of stuff. For those who just have not really paid attention, Odell Beckham Jr.'s father early this week uh, went on Instagram and shared, and I guess YouTube as well, but shared about a 10 or 11 minute clip of a lot of different plays wherein Baker Mayfield supposedly refused to throw the ball to Odell Beckham when he was open, um, you know, and, and or just a lot of different scenarios where it showed Odell that was open and Baker's not throwing the ball, all kinds of different things and pointed it out. And this gained a lot of momentum. And now it's gotten to the point where the, Odell Beckham Jr. was almost traded. And then uh, he is now reportedly trying to work out his release from Cleveland was was basically excused from practice on Wednesday. And Baker Mayfield has been answering a lot of different questions in post-practice press conferences about his relationship with him. Is this repairable? All this kind of stuff. So OBJ, I, I don't know that he's going to be a Brown by the time uh, Sunday rolls around and or I don't know what kind of trickle-down effect this has on the team as they go into Cincinnati. A long time ago, I was at a Super Bowl party and I was curious how many seconds the actual game itself was. And I ran a stopwatch and I landed on about 11 minutes and 30 seconds of actual game time from an actual NFL game, a game that ran three and a half hours or almost four hours. 11 minutes of just plays where a receiver is open but doesn't get targeted is a lot of plays. I don't think people realize how many actual plays that is. So for Odell's dad to go in there into the film room or whoever made the video, for it to be that long, for it to be possible for it to be that long, it only accentuates the, the meme or the joke at this point. Like the whole thing, it, it, it reeks a little bit of what Bengals fans saw last year. Speaking of Carlos Dunlap, which we mentioned in the first segment, um Dunlap's dad reached out to me to get like that side of the story kind of out there and what the whole beef was between him and the coaching staff I guess this is just a beef with Becker or well Becker Beckham and Baker a couple B names there um but how much do we really know about it I don't know Baker is not really giving us that much of it because he doesn't really have to he just has to answer the questions that are laid out in front of him but it's not surprising that the Browns weren't able to trade uh, Odell, and I don't really think they wanted to, but even, even if they did, who really is going to take on that contract? It's still fully guaranteed for the rest of the season or something like that, and there's other high salaries for the next two years, but I guess it's not fully guaranteed up until it expires in 2023. So even if they release him, like he's going to go to waivers, and again, no one's going to be able to want to pick up that contract or barely anybody can afford to do so. But when you are excused from the first practice of the week leading up to a game against your division rival it does kind of seem like the beginning of the end and it, it's shocking because of how great Odell was going into Cleveland and how ridiculed Dave Gelman was for trading away his best player on the Giants in 2018 or whatever and it, it just never became a fit Un- unfortunately for the Bengals I think his best games came against the Bengals I remember like a year ago or two he like before he got injured last year like he was pretty decent against Darius Phillips I think a couple years ago like he definitely had his moments in Cleveland but for whatever reason couldn't get on the same page with his quarterback 
Yeah, four games against the Bengals, two touchdowns, no 100-yard games. Actually uh, got injured in the second game against the Bengals last year, tore his knee and, and was done for the rest of the year last year, had the big touchdown catch on Thursday night uh, against William Jackson down the left sideline. But uh, I mean, not mind blowing stats in four in four games against the Bengals, but to your point, a couple of his games were, were b- some of his better ones with the Browns. So we'll see what transpires here. It's getting pretty ugly. Baker seemed to be pretty taken aback by this video, by some of the stuff that's coming out of, of Beckham's camp here. And like you said, you know, he, he may not go the waiver wire route. He may not get picked up. There are a couple of teams that, you know, could use wide receiver help. So maybe they'll, maybe they'll take on that contract. Otherwise he may uh, just kind of pick his spot. You know, I've heard a lot of different, um, a lot of different stuff where, you know, Patriots could be in the mix. Some people feel that the Chargers have ample space and they need another pass catching weapon. Maybe he goes there. Um, I don't even really want to go here, but the Raiders and everything going on with their receiving group, uh, they may need some, some uh, another, another receiver there. I don't know, but again, this has to be uh, this. We have to see what happens here. We have to see exactly what the Browns do and how this is handled, but it's not headed in a very good direction and is kind of headlining everything as the Bengals get set to host the Browns. Let's get to the injury report, John, and you put this up on cincyjungle.com. I will put this link in the live chats as well. Um, So you put this up a little bit earlier today. Uh, Cam Sample was really, um, I I think he was really one of the only injuries against the Ravens, um, but he did not practice as of Wednesday. Chris Evans and Auden Tate, who did not suit up for the Jets game, uh, were both limited. Anything else uh, to report on that. The biggest surprise to me, I guess, is Jackson Carmen, um, who left mm-hmm. Sunday's game holding his back. Now, if people remember, he had a back injury out of Clemson and he had a procedure done for it in the offseason. So that was my initial thought when I saw him reach for his back. Like, oh, this is uh, this is the same injury that he had surgery for. It's coming back up again. Not necessarily good. He ended up walking off the field and uh, Zach Taylor didn't say that he was day to day after the game. He just said he had a back injury. But then on Monday, he said he was day to day. And that typically means, OK, maybe he's limited or maybe he won't practice Wednesday and it could be like a game time decision for Sunday. Nope. Full participant on Wednesday's practice seems like he's good to go, which is obviously good news because not so secretly, the Bengals are really thin at interior offensive line right now. They still don't have any other backups there aside from Trey Hill. And unfortunately, Trey Hill is averaging a penalty every 20 snaps that he gets onto the field. So they would like him to not see the field as much as possible. So good for Jackson Carmen to avoid any serious or even minor injury. He's good to go. And it looks like they're going to just monitor Chris Evans, the, that situation with his hamstring. He and on Tate, like you said, are, were limited in this game on his first game in a while against the Jets with that thigh injury. So again, we're eight eight and a half games into the season or just eight games into the season and looking pretty damn healthy. Yeah, that's, that's, it hasn't been really the detail of the tape with the Bengals over the past couple of years. And that's kind of what's plagued them there. But yeah, I mean, some, some expected stuff, some unexpected stuff, like you said, with Carmen, that is on the positive that did not look good. And my mind went to where you just said about, you know, oh man, didn't he have back surgery this, this off this, you know, before the draft. So uh, good to see that he got full practice in as of Wednesday. And then you look at the laundry list 
of the Cleveland Browns, and they are – it's not just a lot of backups. Um, there are the big names here. You had no <laughs> practice from Jadavion Clowney. Of course, the Odell Beckham Jr., he does have shoulder injuries, but there's some other stuff going on there. Jack Conklin, a good tackle, did not practice. Um, you've got the other A.J. Green limited, uh, Malik Jackson, John Johnson, Jarvis Landry, and then, of course, Baker getting a full practice in with the left shoulder injury, but he is nursing a couple of different injuries there. So a laundry list of important players who are injured for the Browns. And it's um, important to note here that Takaris McKinley, who the Bengals claimed last year but never played for them, the cornerback A.J. Green, not the receiver, wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones and Denzel Ward, who are all listed on the injury report, they did not play in Cleveland's game on Sunday when they lost to the Steelers. So they are the guys to potentially look for because their injuries were serious enough where they had to miss the game, and they are still on the injury report. As far as the guys who did not uh, participate, Jack Conklin, the right tackle, um, I think he dislocated his elbow or something like that. So he's going to be out for not only this game, but for multiple games in the near future. Jadavion Clowney did play in Sunday's game, but as you can see, an ankle and a knee and a hip injury at the same time. Uh, he's playing through some pain right now, and who knows yeah, if he's yeah, going to be able to suit up for this one. Other than that, uh, Malik Jackson, the guy who uh, crushed Joe Burrow for the Eagles last year, and um, he was the reason why Burrow had that famous soundbite, like, when I'm the GOAT, I'm going to get that call. He's now with the Browns, but he did not practice. John Johnson, arguably been their best defender, who's not named Miles Garrett. He did not practice with the neck, but I, I, I want to say, he, did, yeah, he did play last Sunday, so that's an interesting injury to monitor as well. And also, Jarvis Landry, if they don't have either Odell Beckham or Jarvis Landry for this game, I don't really know who Baker Mayfield's going to throw to aside from Peoples-Jones and Rashard uh, Higgins. Yeah, and those two actually have made their share of plays against the Bengals, believe it or not. Peoples-Jones, I think, was a rookie last year, but he stepped in and had a couple of huge catches in the comeback win by the Browns. Not the game winner. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I feel like there are a couple of guys that can maybe step in, but when you have when you're missing both Landry and OBJ, um, you know, that's, and then you've got a hurt Baker Mayfield. You've got Jack Conklin out. You're going to, you know, Jedrick Wills is, is limping a little bit. I mean, some of the things that this team was built upon and, and its foundation and its strengths are, are hurting right now. But one of the areas that they are improving, I believe Kareem Hunt is still out. However, uh, Nick Chubb is back in the lineup. And uh, so that is something to definitely watch. And there is no doubt about the fact that the Browns will want to run the football against the Cincinnati Bengals. And I think this is where we can kind of do a little mini segment and talk about strategies for success. If you are the Cincinnati Bengals to coin a cheese ball term, but we'll, we'll go with it anyway. Look, I, I mentioned it earlier, just tackling Ta the, the If the Bengals tackle, or, or don't tackle in the same way that they did against the Jets, a game that should be pretty winnable against a banged-up Browns team on your home turf suddenly becomes a lot more difficult because Nick Chubb will make you pay even with a banged-up Baker Mayfield issues at wide receiver and a couple of issues injury issues on the offensive line. It was it was weird, not not weird, but it was interesting last last year in week two on that Thursday night game. It was it was not only Nick Chubb that was running over the Bengals, but it was like Kareem Hum was even better, and you know he wasn't the featured back, but 
Hunt not playing in this game, I think, is, is pretty pretty significant for the Bengals. Nick Chubb is still really good. He's not, I guess, having the best season that he could possibly be having, but there have been a lot of injuries along Cleveland's offensive line, and that has impacted their overall effectiveness running the ball. But we we claim these these are really useless uh, terms and just just a lot of noise, like just tackling, execution, fundamentals, and stuff like that. But it does kind of matter sometimes when that's what your opponent wants to do and what, and what their identity is. Rarely has Baker Mayfield done a lot of things this year that has you know forced the defense to adjust or defenses have have game planned with the fear of Baker Mayfield going over the top of them and and kind of winning with with his arm. They have a good system of just implementing a lot of play action rollouts and a lot of play action concepts and working off of what Nick Nick Chubb does. But we talked a lot about this defense getting overhauled because of the Ravens. I think the Browns deserve some of that credit too, for how much the the Browns have been able to run, run them over. The Bengals haven't, the Bengals have not beaten the Browns since before COVID. Like it seems like forever, but that that's just the reality of the case. They haven't beaten them since the end of the 2019 season mm-hmm. when they were a one in 15 team. And a lot of that is because of what they've been able to do, building that offensive line and just handing the ball off to Nick Chubb. So even if Nick Chubb is not, not a hundred percent, maybe, or maybe not as effective as he has been in the past couple of years, he can definitely take apart this defense if they're, if they're not a, a lot better than what they were last week. Couple of other, I mean, I, I'm just focusing on the defense because I, I know the offense has had their issues. But what is it? The last, the last three games are averaging in the mid 30s in terms of points scored. Um, so the Bengals are putting up points. Finally, there are some dry spells in the very, very frustrating, just three and outs, three and outs, you know. And then that unbelievable sequence of events following the Jesse Bates return to the one yard line where they ran four plays and had minus 14 yards. So, I mean, it's like an unbelievable sequence of events there. However, they are putting up points and when they're, they're feeder to the fire in terms of needing scores and whatnot, Joe Burrow seems to, to get the plays made that, that need to be made. I mean, like you said that, you know, that, that game got tenuous at one point last week and, Burrow got him an 11 point lead. Granted, they blew that, but um, you know, I mean, I, I have confidence that this team is now pretty consistently able to score points, even against a pretty good defense of the Browns. So I guess I'm focusing a bit more if we're talking about strategies for success for the Bengals, I'm focusing a bit more on the defense. I think you're going to need to have someone get consistent pressure who was not named Trey Hendrickson. And I think you're going to need to have an immense ba- bounce back game by Chidobe Awuzie. Chidobe Awuzie has been a very, very good player for this team. Arguably their best, one of their best free agency acquisitions in, in recent memory. Um, but he had a rough game last week. He had a rough game last week. Yeah, he should have gave up two touchdowns if they didn't uh, overturn that one. It, it, that is kind of disheartening, you know, to give up, to, to be mossed by Keelan Cole, have that be yeah. overturned. And then two plays later, give up a touchdown to Braxton Berrios. That's yeah, he, he's he needs to bounce back. Um, yeah, all Mac, all Mac two in the comment section, John. That's only one season. Now it's only been two games. Forgive me. It feels like a long. It feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> but m- moving past that, it, it's interesting the Bengals' offense against this Browns defense because Miles Garrett is an alien playing defensive end who can also play defensive tackle. He can play basically anywhere on the defensive line and he can get you 10 pressures a game and three sacks. He's had a lot of success against the Bengals in years past, specifically against that, that guy, Cedric Oboyhe. But even in the last couple of years, oh yeah, <laughs> Texas A&M on Texas A&M crime. Even when 
Miles Garrett has looked really good and he has consistently against the Bengals. The Bengals have been able to put up points against the Browns um, last year on Thursday night. They scored 30. They had a lot of success in the second loss of the season last year. And I think a lot of that was because the Browns secondary has not been very good in recent years. But like the Bengals bolstered their receiving core, the Browns definitely bolstered their secondary in the form of first round pick Greg Newsom, who has been really good as a rookie mm-hmm. and getting back Greedy Williams from injury. He was their, I think, second round pick in the 2020 draft. So even without potentially Denzel Ward, who was limited right now with a hamstring, they have two cornerbacks that can line up against the Bengals receivers on the perimeter, which I really think is going to be the, the potential difference in this game because the Browns defensive line when healthy. It's a definite mismatch for the Bengals, like it was for the Bears, like it ended up being for the Jets and like it was um, against the Vikings at times too. all three games where the Bengals offensive line has struggled. It's definitely it's definitely a game where the Bengals offensive line has to play their best because if Miles Garrett just has continually one-on-one matchups, he's going to win most of them, and he's going to take advantage of them and going to finish them. It's up to their receivers to get open really quickly and buy time for Burrow to potentially extend plays and target them down downfield. If the improvements that the Browns have made in the secondary are able to stay with the Bengals' receivers, then that is how the defensive line for the Bears can limit how many points the Bengals can score because the Bengals offense was very inconsistent last year, but their two best games arguably were against the Browns despite that defensive line. But the defensive line has only gotten better and the secondary has only gotten better. And for some reason that has not netted to better success for the, for the Browns defense as a whole. So that is honestly my, my biggest thing to watch for in this because the Bengals have had success against the Browns defense, but the Browns defense on paper has improved for some reason. It just hasn't shown up in the results column though. How important is the run game to you this week? Uh, Cincinnati kind of was was able to do some things, you know, against the Ravens and against the Lions, and Mixon had some good games here and there. Um, really, really struggled running the football. Now, granted, Mixon helped out quite a bit in the passing game last week and, and has really done quite a bit of that this year, but just kind of getting a little consistency there. Do you think, especially with the Miles Garrett factor, do you think that that is of utmost importance this week in any way? Absolutely. I, I think still like there's an expectation for Joe Mixon to whenever he's called upon to rush the ball 15, 20 times and gain around 100 yards. And that, I mean, that's just very subjective numbers right there. But, you know, they don't want a situation where he's dropped where Burrow is dropped back 60 times like he did in week two against this defense last year. There's an expectation last week for more success against the Jets. And that was something that hasn't really been talked about. Like Mixon averaged less than three yards per carry. The Jets defensive line came to play. Quentin Williams, Sheldon Rankins, Bengals in free agency, mm-hmm. Nathan Shepard, and their edges like they 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 got to work against the Bengals offensive line, who still had struggles with Trey Hopkins and even Quinn Spain at times in the interior. So there is a definite matchup to watch with the Browns defensive line, who while they're strong on the edges with Garrett, like there are some question marks in terms of stopping the run inside. Malik McDowell, he's you know promising pass rusher at defensive tackle, but not very good against the run. Malik Jackson. Um, Jordan Elliott as well. I think they're kind of missing Larry Ogunjobi in that regard because Ogunjobi has been strong against the run this year. So it's the, it's the Larry Ogunjobi revenge game. It's the Andrew Billings yeah. revenge game. Andrew Billings didn't have that chance last year because he opted out with COVID. So there is an opportunity for Trey Hopkins and Jackson Carmen to really make a statement against the Bears, or excuse me, the Browns' weak defensive interior because, again, running towards Miles Garrett is usually a losing strategy. I think the Bengals moved to Larry Ogunjobi once they lost out on Sheldon Rankins, if I if I remember correctly, uh, in free agency. I could be wrong about that, but um, Rankins had had a good game against Cincinnati. We're coming up on it. Well, let's do 
Um, let's do some score projections. What do you what do you think of, about this one? Do the Bengals bounce back or do the Browns rally? Maybe OBJ not in that locker room any, anymore. Do they rally around uh, Baker Mayfield and keep beating the Bengals despite some of the issues going on in their locker room? Yeah, I think that's what maybe Bengals fans are overrating at this point because while there is drama, I guess, on the surface with with Beckham and Baker, I don't think the Bears really see it as that because, you know, unfortunately for them, OBJ has not been really effective or really productive. He's just been a non-factor in the offense for whatever reason. So now that this is all kind of coming to a head, I think a lot of people are maybe are just relieved that it's over. I definitely, I mean, there's just reports of Andrew Barry, the GM, and Kevin Stefanski just kind of being really boring about the whole situation, just not really getting too high or too low about anything. It's just they're just moving on with their business, and maybe that's a good thing for the Browns because right now they're 4-4. Four and four. They have a ton of people on the injury report, but that's just been the case for the last month. Their desperation is equal to, if not greater, than the Bengals because their expectations for the season were a lot higher in, in the, the eyes of the media and maybe the eyes of themselves compared to the Bengals and the Bengals are on top of them in the division and record wise. So there is that factor for the Bengals of just getting right and beating a division rival for the first time in two years. But that factor is always going to be on the opposite side too, if the situation presents itself. So it's not like the Bengals have an advantage here on wanting and more when the Browns have every reason to do so as well. And also having kind of a monkey off their back with the whole OBJ situation. So I think this game is going to be close because of, because both teams are going to be, equally desperate in that sense. Uh, I think they both match up really well in, in certain areas. Points have just been a theme of this rivalry recently. So I'm going to say that the over probably hits. We're going to see total points in like the fifties, maybe the high fifties. And I think the Bengals barely eke this one out. I'm going to guess a three point victory for them along the lines of 30 to 27. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to agree with a lot of that, of what you said there. I think the Bengals are in a in a better position. I think they're going to come out and play pretty angry based on what, what happened last week. I, I do think despite all the injuries, I do think that this is still a pretty good Browns team. I think there are, you know, there's still some talent there and they're going to be able to put up some points. I, I would love to see this be a blowout for the Bengals. I just don't really... I don't really see that happening. And so I'm going to, you said uh, 30, what'd you say? 30, 27. Yes. Okay. I will go 31, 30. I'll price is right. you there. And, uh, <laughs> and go, 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 go a little crazy. I think the Bengals barely eke this one out as well. I don't, I don't know if I have a thought of, you know, they, they kick the field goal last or they hold them or what have you. But um, I think this is going to be pretty close. I think this is going to be pretty close, but I think the Bengals come out on top and to get to the bye week, with three division wins and being three and zero under your belt, that would be quite, quite the achievement, I think. Let's drop the mic and get out of here, John. What do you got for us? Well, just real quick, we, I've seen this in the comment section pretty frequently. Like, it, it, is the frowns is that a common derogatory uh, name for? I've never heard of that. Like, I've heard of the clowns before. I, no. I don't know if frowns is like a new age thing. I was just curious if you've ever heard of that before. I, I have not. No, I have not. Interesting. Um, I don't really have that much of a mic drop. I guess I'm pretty fortunate that I cover a sport that doesn't rely on a committee of, of 20 people to <laughs> best judge the best teams in in the uh, sport that they play. Man, sixth behind both Oregon and OSU. Yeah, just I'm, I'm I better just stop. 
I, I feel for you. I'm not a, a Bearcats fan. I'm not a Bearcats guy. I did have a great time going to the Bearcats game when I was out in Cincinnati uh, that, that first week there. But, um, you know, and obviously just I, I know a lot of Bengals fans are Bearcats fans and, and whatnot. So I always kind of kind of pull for them. But I, I felt I felt for the Bearcat Nation last night. I, I thought that was just kind of an unfair thing. And unfortunately, we kind of talked about it before we hit the air. It just seems that the um, – you know, the, the, the big schools, the big conferences, et cetera, et cetera, are the ones that get the benefit of the doubt. The standards just aren't, they, they just don't seem the same, you know? I know. It's like, wow, I'm just really lamenting at this point. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just salty. That's all it is. <laughs> so I, I've got a question for you. I think I know what your answer is going to be as my mic drop, but I, I, I kind of was thinking about this today. So Obviously, we know Bengals Nation. Anytime there's a big free agent or anybody that hits the open market, oh, the Bengals should pounce on that guy. You know, we're talking about OBJ. There's a couple people. I would love to have OBJ. I don't want OBJ. I don't want the salary. I don't want the headache. I don't want all that kind of stuff. One person, and actually a couple people on Twitter I've noticed, have been talking about Deshaun Jackson as an option for the Bengals. And immediately my mind was, nope, I don't want that. We don't need another wide receiver, et cetera, et cetera. The one way I could be sold on this, John, is if actually Deshaun Jackson comes in and is the Bengals' spark as a return man. Um, the Bengals, one of their one of their issues on in uh, punt returns, uh, a little bit on kick returns as well, which is a little bit of a surprise because you thought that would be one of the strengths of the team this year. Um, so one of the only ways I could be sold on that would be if John Jackson would be, you know, a punt returner, maybe he's number, you know, four or five down the pecking order on the wide receiver depth chart. You know, unfortunately the issue was he is, he, he kind of was having issues with the Rams. So in terms of targets and fitting into the system, I don't know if that was an acquisition that the Bengals were able to make in terms of affordability and the vision was mainly as weird as it sounds, primarily special teams, would that be something you would be interested in? Or would you say, don't mess with the locker room vibe? We don't need other players right now. The Bengals are kind of set. I don't know. Just kind of a food for thought thing I thought about today. Well, I think on the surface, like Deshaun Jackson could be interested in joining the Bengals. Like Kenny Galladay was interested just joining up with Burrow with the, with the opportunity to get some production. But if the Bengals' plan would just be to use him as return man. I think that he would probably keep his options open at that point. If the whole thing with leaving the Rams, who are macro aggressive and are at one of the, one of the best teams in the NFC and are completely all in on winning right now, and if he had issues with staying there despite or because of the lack of involvement in the offense, I don't think his situation would necessarily improve with right. the Bengals with their receiving core set. So. Yeah, on the surface, if this was Madden, like, yeah, the, you, you just add Deshaun Jackson for vet minimum because he's better than any other fourth receiver, including on Tate, that you can think of. And he just adds or he further he furthers your um, dynamic dynamic ability at receiver just in stretching the field. But I don't think the fit is there because of what Deshaun Jackson may want. Yeah, I, I just I again, I, I would need to be sold on it being as a as a big boost potentially to the special teams of the return game. Just just kind of a fun thing I was thinking about. I don't foresee that happening for a number of different reasons, though. John, have a good rest of the week. We'll be back. Uh, I, I guess I'm 
I should have asked you first, but I assume we'll be doing listener questions live this week. We haven't done it uh, for a little bit here. So hopefully we will be back for for that on Friday. We've got the fantasy football show with the Orange Arrow coming up. But uh, have a good week, my friend. I've never turned down listeners' questions, and I never will. So we'll be, we'll be here Friday. All right. Sounds good. Everybody take care and enjoy the first round of the Battle of Ohio in 2021. This has been the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, part of the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network. We'll see you soon.